we, uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about worship and about one of the purposes for it and what it's about. Um, and in Ephesians, you know, one of the things that Paul brings out is he's like, this is supposed to form your minds so that you see the world differently. It changes you, and, and in changing you, it changes the world. And so when we sing, your grace is enough, um, that's hard to believe sometimes. But if it burrows into our hearts and changes the way we think and see, um, we get changed and the world gets changed. And that truth that God's grace is enough settles. Battling through Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says a whole bunch of stuff that we don't like hearing. Talking about everything from uh, sex to how men and women are supposed to, to live together as husband and wife. It's been challenging, and it's been exciting, and I appreciate um, your, your patience and your, and your encouragement as we've gone through it, and it's really cool to see um, us thinking differently about um, how we live, you know, in light of what God has done, in light of the fact that he broke in with Christ, and he changes everything, and how that has these really deep, easy, simple, well, not easy, but simple, practical ways that that changes us. Uh, this week, your wedding every Wednesday. This is how I think Erin looks. She, she's in the preschool, so I can talk a little bit about her. That's Erin that's to me. Love that. Um, and, and the thing is, I see her like this, especially, even, even sometimes, like, mostly. It's really weird. I'm a weird guy. Uh, she's like, she's been working real hard, you know? She's been working out, maybe. That's what, she, you know, she's been doing an a, a intense... Insanity X, she does these crazy, crazy workouts, and she's flushed, and she's sweaty, and she's just, ugh. But I, I look at her, and I'm like, wow, you are an amazing woman. And I see, I see Cinderella in her in those moments. Or, or she comes back from a long day at work, and I mean, she, if you don't know, Erin uh, works with some of the, the neediest kids, uh, kids with special needs, severe special needs, kids who spend all day screaming and biting. Because uh, life is hard for them. And she's with them, loving them. I see her come back from that. And she's, you know, beat up. She's got a Band-Aid. They had to check to make sure she didn't get any diseases. You know, she's, she's, uh, she's her hair is a mess. Um, and this is what I see. Because I know she's doing it for those kids. I know she's doing it for our family. But this is what she sees. It's funny, I, I, I was looking through pictures of Cinderella. It's great, because in almost every scene we're in this movie where Cinderella is like cleaning, she's got like a happy smile on her face. There's birds flying around with like carrying the pails of water as she's mopping. And I'm like, oh, it's, it, that's what it's like, right? <laughs> when we're cleaning the house. No, it's more like this. Isn't that weird? You think about that movie, Cinderella, and it starts out, right? It starts out like this, and then it ends up like what we just saw. Like, so the beginning of the movie is her scrubbing, and she's, you know, beat up, and she's, but then something beautiful happens, and suddenly at the end of the movie, that, you know, she's beautiful. Isn't it weird that most of our lives are backwards, right? They start with your wedding day, and then they end up here. Cinderella, you know, if you think of her name, it's, um, it's actually from uh, the French for, uh, for, for um, little ashes, um, and where we get our word cinders, right? Um, and so cinder, Cinderella, she's Ella, but she's um, the ash girl. She's Ash Ella. And that's kind of what defines her. And so if you imagine her name, it's Cinder-Ella. And that's that girl right there. 
But then, because of the work of the fairy godmother, um, she becomes Cinderella, the beautiful girl that we all know and see and think of when we think of this movie. So how did it, how did it happen? How did it happen that, that Aaron and many of the ladies here went from Cinder, Cinderella, beautiful Cinderella, to Cinder-Ella? That girl right there. How did it happen? How did it start out as this beautiful wedding and has become something less? If you're relating to this, as I'm sure Aaron um, does, you should know you're not alone, ladies. Uh, Since the 1970s, since the time that we have data for this, we know that women in the United States of America have been less and less happy every year. It started out that women were happier and more satisfied in the early 70s than men. It's come to the point now where women are not only um, the unhappier than they've ever been before, but they're also less happy, less satisfied than their husbands and men in general. Men are just happier now in the United States than they were uh, in, in, or the men are pretty much the same, but women have gone from a place of, of happiness and, and, and moved to a place of dissatisfaction. Well, because of two words, real life, right? Real life in the post-1970s world. Real life where women for the first time have been trying in a lot of cases to, to balance career and, and being a housewife. Where, you know, we, we have this idea where men kind of help out, you know, in the house with the stuff. Like, I, I do a lot of dishes, right? But I'll be honest, in my heart of hearts, if I'm really thinking about who's responsible for all of this, I kind of default to to her, and I think she does too. And so she's got these expectations on her all the time. The housework seems to pile up. She doesn't necessarily have time or, or the skill or whatever to cook, and so she starts to feel less and less like Cinderella and more like Cinderella. She's got to worry about the shopping. She's got to worry about pleasing her husband. She's also got to worry about pleasing God. The trend is accelerated, and it may be highly correlated to the advent of social media, where for the first time, Cinderella sees all the other Cinderellas, and she feels less and less pretty, and less and less good about what she has in light of what they have. She's getting older. She looks in the mirror, and she sees more and more of those soot smudges, and less and less of that beautiful dress. And at the end of each day, more than anything, she's just tired. Is there any hope of getting her back? Is there any hope of Cinderella becoming Cinderella again? Is there any way, is there any possibility that every Wednesday could be a little bit more like her wedding day? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
Now, it's interesting, you know, it, the only thing, the only thing here about husbands is that first line, husbands love your wives. This is, this is Paul giving a, a command to, to, to husbands, a weird command too. In the ancient world, this phrase gets used a lot, but instead of the word love, the word is rule. Husbands, rule your wives. That's what the ancient world, that's what Plutarch and, and, and other um, ancient writers uh, commanded husbands to do because that's how things got done. Because really, the household in the ancient world was not, you know, this loving place of, of kindness and mutual affection and, and satisfaction and joy. Instead, the household was like Tom Inc. And, and, and Aaron was, was Tom's number one employee. And so he kind of had to make sure, you know, from a management perspective, that she's doing her job to get it all done. That's the ancient world. And, 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 and Paul turns that on its head. He says, no, you don't rule, rule your wives. You love your wives. But then he explains what that means. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus' self-giving love makes his glorious bride shine. When Paul says he loved us and gave himself for us, of course he's talking about the cross. He's using the cross as an analogy for husbands to figure out how they're supposed to love their wives. And so if we understand what the cross does, if we really grasp it in, in the way that Paul's going to use the language, if we really get into it and we unpack it, I think we're going to get some really, really simple, really practical ways that husbands can love their wives. Because what Christ does on the cross, what he does for the church, has a really clear, simple analogy for what husbands are supposed to do in the house. So what does the cross do? Well, Jesus' self-living, self-giving love scrubs the church, removing the barriers between us and God. His self-giving love scrubs the church clean. You see, when we come to Christ, we're not clean. And in fact, uh, the language get, gets used. L- look at the language again right here. Sanctify and cleanse her with washing of water by the word. Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That's actually drawn from the Old Testament. That's, um, it's priestly language, actually. Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and you, and you, you know how temple worship worked, basically, the priest had to, like, have a big bath before he did his stuff at the temple. He, uh, he, he came to the temple and he'd been in contact with things like blood or, or like corpses. Things that, um, were not alive. Things that, that signified to people were symbols for people of death, of, of loss. And the priests had those things covered all over him. Even though they were invisible, they were there, they were stuck to him. And if he wanted to come face to face with the living God, he had to take a bath. He had a ceremonial washing. And in that moment, in that movement, his heart goes from a place of corrosion, a place of death, a place of ick, and it becomes clean, white, beautiful. And when he's in that clean, white, experience, he's able to go before God and be in communion with God. You see, before he can do that, before he can do that, imagine that you're God. God is the living God, the God of the living, the God who is life itself. And he comes into contact with people who are marred and brutalized by death. God's glory, God's purity, his majesty would crush, wipe us out, disintegrate us. And so the priest must, must be washed if he's to survive the encounter 
you. You remember uh, what this looks like if you're familiar. Remember uh, at one point Moses has come into contact with God and, he, and his face is shining and his hair becomes white because God's purity and glory reflect. They scrub him, make him glow. So when we see a washing by, of water by the word, we're, we're supposed to hear what's going on with the priest. There's something in between us and God, and it's making, so, and making it so that we can't be with him, that we can't know him, that we can't be intimate or close to him. And instead of ritual water, it's the water of the Spirit delivered by the hearing faith in the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that simply by faith, simply by trusting him, we are washed by the Spirit. The Spirit is like the ultimate bath, the ultimate cleanse, scrubs us clean all the way from top to bottom, all the death, all the corrosion, all the sin in life is, is exterminated so that we come out like scalded. One of my favorite things in Japan was to go to the onsen. Uh, the onsen's the, the public baths there. And it's, um, it's a little weird for, for probably Westerners and Americans because it's a whole bunch of dudes, you know, naked together. Um, which is a little weird. But, you know, you kind of cover up. But one of the things that they do is they have these, these baths and they're, and they're right outside. And so in the middle of the winter in Japan, it's ice cold outside. And then, and you just jump into this water and it is the hottest water you've ever known. Your heart, like, starts racing. Sweat starts pouring out of you. And it takes a few minutes to, to get comfortable. And even when you're comfortable, you're not comfortable. You're like, oh, I, I need a break. And so what do I do? I, I, I jumped out of that and I found they had a cold plunge to really get the heart racing. It's, uh, it's called the, uh, the lazy man's workout. Because, uh, you know, you've got to get that heart rate up if you're going to stay in shape. So what you do is you just, your, your body, you're, you're red as a beet, right? Because you've just been immersed in this ultra hot scalding water and you and you run over and let's just do it i was young and stupid just jump right into that cold plunge and it's like ah, ah. you can't speak uh your innards feel like they're like hey, ah, ah, ah. you've never felt cleaner in your life it feels like it's that glow, that, that feel of life and, and health and peace, and it's, it's robust, and it, it's just difficult to describe for those who haven't experienced it. But that's the kind of bath that we, the church, take in the Spirit by faith. That when we believe, we go into the hot water, and we come out of the cold water. And if you hear a little bit of baptism in the background, don't think that this is the baptism somehow saves you. It's just a symbol, but it is a good symbol of what's taking place when we trust. You're going in. You're coming out. You've been washed by the water of the word. Cinderella takes a bath before the ball. So that's the first thing that Jesus Self-giving love does, it, it, it washes us, it scrubs us, top to bottom, removing the barrier between us and God, the death, the sin, the evil that we've done in the face of his glorious, holy presence. But that's not it. That's not all Jesus' self-giving love does. It does a second thing. It dresses us up. Jesus' self-giving love dresses the church, making us morally perfect, gloriously beautiful. You see, Cinderella jumps in, in the bath. She, she gets the soot and the grime off, but she's not done. Something else has to happen. 
Look again at the text. Christ is going to present to himself a glorious church with no spots or wrinkles. This, friends, is wedding language. It's wedding dress language, in fact. We know if you skip down, we're not going to look at it today, but if you skip down to verses 31 and 32, uh, Paul quotes Genesis. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's a wedding. It's a wedding day. No spots or wrinkles because I, I remember. May, maybe you guys, some of you remember. I, I, the whole wedding day is a blur. I'm being honest. I mean, I, there are flashes and little bits here that I can pick out. But I, I got to be honest. I was, I was not present uh, to that. I was in a, just another place, um, which is terrible. And hopefully Aaron doesn't listen to this online. Um, but, but that's where I was. I'm going to be honest with you. It was, it was the enormity of the situation was too much for me to bear. One thing I do remember, though, I do remember was the months beforehand. Erin went, she picked out a dress, the beautiful dress. That I do remember. I remember the, you know, the revealing where I was like, whoa, nice. But the, the, when she got that dress, you know, it was crazy. She, she bought it, but she didn't actually fit into it. It was still a little bit tight, you know? And the dress was almost like, a, like an incentive where she was going to change her life. She was going to do it different. She was really going to be she was going to get into that thing, and it was going to fit like a glove. And then it did. Jesus' love, the Spirit's work, is like adorning us in clothes of white. It's getting us, you know, we, we come to God and we're like, ah, and he fits us in to that wedding dress so that we can be with him. And then he pretties us up. Uh, when, when, when Paul says holy and without blemish, he's telling what prettiness looks like of the church. What is it that Christ's self-giving love does? What does it mean that he's dressing us up? He's making us morally pure. He's making us so that we are beautiful before him, so that we are everything that he desires and honestly, everything he deserves. And that means that he's going to change us a little bit. He's going to squeeze us in so we can get into that dress. But notice, unlike Aaron, we're not the ones who are fitting into that dress, right? We're not the ones working hard, you know, running and changing the way we eat and all of that just so that we can get into our wedding dress. No, no, no. Jesus' self-giving love does the whole thing. Christ loved the church, gave himself for her that, so that, in order that, she should be holy and without blemish. He does it all. It happens symbolically, not symbolically, but it happens, um, it's given to us, imputed to us. That's how God sees us in this life. Um, but then in the next life, it's real. Like we, we kind of move through a process of sanctification with the Lord, his spirit constantly inspiring us and changing us and, and purging us of all of our defects that we become what God has for us. But it's him doing it. Cinderella's fairy godmother dresses her up for the ball. Marilyn, if you can get that clip, let's take a look. I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see. Oh! Oh! 
There it is. There she goes. Wait, can we start at the beginning? Is, is there a way we can get there? It's so cool because she's like, she's in tatters. And then kaboom! Yeah, just, well, like 30 seconds in. Well, okay. Right there, that's great, perfect. There it is. There she is. Oh my gosh, tatters! She's terrible. Oh, boom! Beautiful! Incredible! If you, if you remember the, the, the movie, what's, what's going on? She, she works so hard. She's going to get this great, perfect dress. And she's sewing, and the, and the mice are running back and forth with, like, ribbons. And the doves are coming in sewing for her. And she's creating this beautiful thing. And then uh, her, her, her stepsisters come in and just tear it limb from limb. They're like, you're not beautiful. You're, a, you're Cinder Dash Ella. Get back in the fireplace. And so she comes to her fairy godmother, and she says, I... I'm done. I can't do it on my own. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy or the skill. I don't have anything to get me into that dress. And her fairy godmother says, let me take care of it. There are some people here who are trying to pretty up for God. There are some people here who are thinking, if I can just do X, then this part of my life is going to be better, and God's finally going to be pleased with me. God is going to look at me and say, you're beautiful now. You weren't before, but you did this, and now you're perfect. No. Jesus' self-giving love does it all. Start to finish. Jesus' self-giving love takes you in all of your dirt, all of your sin, all of your grime, all of the things that you are not, that you are meant to be, and he transforms you by his love, and all you do is believe. Jesus takes you from Cinder-Ella, he makes you Cinderella in a moment of faith. And then he works that out by the power of his spirit through the rest of your life. Only faith scrubs you down. Only faith dresses you up and makes you the glorious bride you've been called to be. If you're keeping track, this is actually... um, this text is, is actually about a man's submission to his wife. We've been talking a lot about Jesus, and we've been talking a lot about his self-giving love and how it works out for the church, but what we haven't been talking about is what does this have to do with husbands and wives? The, the, at the very beginning of this text, we looked at it last week, we found that husbands and wives are meant to submit to each other. And we saw what it looked like for a wife to submit to her husband is let him lead. Let him be the man he's been called to be. Let him be. We talked about Dick Winters from World War II, the, the, the ultimate example of a self-giving leader. Let him be that for you. Don't try to take control. Well, this text is how a husband can love his wife. It's how he can submit to her need. And when it's done properly, a husband's self-giving love makes his glorious bride shine. It makes his glorious bride shine. Now let's think about it. Let's think about what what did Jesus love do? Well, the first thing it did is it it scrubbed down. It scrubbed her down, right? You know, jumping into the bath and the scalding water and the soot comes off and and it cleans us out. Husbands, the cares of this world have made for a lot of soot smudges on your wives. When she's looking in the mirror, she doesn't see the bride that you see. She sees Cinderella scrubbing the floor. 
remember, uh, the way Jesus' love works is there's these barriers between us and God. We can't be intimate with God. We can't be close to him. That's what we're supposed to be, but there's something in the way. And so Jesus' self-giving love, his, his love at the cross, removes that barrier. There's that barrier between us and God. Husbands, your self-giving love is meant to remove barriers from your wife that are preventing her from peace, from a robust experience of God's grace and love. What are some of those barriers? Guys, you probably know. Maybe you don't. I had to read a book about it. That's how I learned things. Uh, totally not intuitive. Uh, but there are a lot of books written. It, here's, here's a couple. Here's a couple things. Security. She needs to know she's safe. These are some barriers. A barrier between a wife and peace. A robust sense of peace before God, knowing that God has is caring for her, that she can become the glorious bride she's supposed to be. There's these barriers. One, security, safety. A, a need for affection. Financial stability. It's a big one. Really big. I know this uh, from my own marriage. There was a lot of time, uh, and I've told you before, and, and I'll probably tell you again, there were times in our life where, boy, it was really hard to feel for her, it was really hard for her to love because she was scared. Because we were on the edge. And I had to work to kind of smooth some of those things out. These, these are barriers between her and a robust peace. Now, you might be listening to this, you're like, oh, really? Okay, guys, this does not mean that you have to be rich. Okay, it doesn't. You don't have to be rich in order to deal with finances stuff. You just let's just focus on on being stable, right? And and if you're actually if that's something that matters to you, talk to me. Come to our financial peace small group. Start one your own uh, in the winter. It is possible. It can be done. You can have freedom and peace here for your wife. It, look, guys, you don't have to be a gun wielding warrior to make your wife feel safe. Okay, uh, I know there are a lot of you in this in this audience, guys. Uh, we had a little gun. Um, little gun event. We went to a shooting range, and I was just shocked, honestly, about the number of weapons that have been held in secret in our congregation. It's just frightening. Um, <laughs> I would think I was supposed to feel safe, but I ended up just being scared. <laughs> um, so, so guys, you don't actually have to have a shotgun under your bed, although if you do, and I know at least one of you does, that's great. But you do need to make her feel safe. Guys, you don't have to be an Italian lover, ravishing her day in and day out. That's not, I'm not, that's not the call here. The call is not to become, you know, the, the, I, look, I see it in movies. I don't even know if it's real, but probably it is, where like, he just sweeps in and he's just incredible and constantly like affectionate and, you know, kind of what you imagine might be. You don't have to be that. Maybe there are a few of you here. I'd like a few tips, I'll be honest, but you don't have to be that. Ladies, you, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to demand that from your husband. You don't have to demand these things. But you do have a, you have a right to step up and say, I need to be safe. I need to feel secure. I need those things. Ladies, you are not called to have zero responsibilities and challenges in your life where you're like in the recliner and your husband's like slaving away to make your life perfect. That's not what's being said here. But you do have a right and a, and a need to to have some of these basic needs met. And, and, and in, in the way that husbands do that, they, they're scrubbing you down. They're getting some of those barriers out of the way so that you can become the wife, the bride 
that Christ has desired you to be. So that's the scrubbing down, right? Just as Christ scrubbed down the church and got rid of our sin and our grime, guys can move, remove these barriers. But then Christ does something else. He doesn't just scrub us down. He dresses us up as a church and he makes us beautiful, makes us glorious. He's preparing us, changing us inside and out through time, over time, through the power of his spirit to become more like him so that we are, in fact, the kind of bride that he deserves at the, end, at the last day. Guys, your wife needs to be prettied up with love. She needs to be dressed up with love. Guys, day in and day out, she has concerns about her physical appearance, especially as she starts to get older. She looks back and she's not the one that she remembers. She struggles with self-doubt, self-hatred. She wonders if she's really worth anything or if she's valuable. This is especially true, especially true. Um, now that a lot of ladies are both um, bringing in money, working, and, and are also trying to be moms and keep the house, you know, it's a, ter- it's a, tr- it's a really tr- tough balance for them. And even the ones who don't, I mean, they're sitting there and they're like, you know, scrubbing away and you walk in and you're like kicking your shoes. I do this. I kick off my shoes, throw all my clothes on the floor and like look at it and be like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Nothing? That's fine. I'll just step over. I don't care. I know it bothers you though. She's afraid of being forgotten. She's scared that she's not going to be heard, seen, known. You can meet these needs, guys, and it, and it really is. It's like putting a dress on her. It's like doing a little makeup for her. It's like putting her up a little bit. Guys, I'm not saying you got to do it 24-7. You don't have to be Superman Here. You don't have to drop everything in your life to attend to all of her needs all the time. You don't have to give up your career, your work, your hobbies in order to be a full-time, you know, sycophant making your wife feel good about herself. But you do need to pretty her up a little bit. It may be that some of you are overcommitted with career, work, maybe even service in the church. I remember um, when I was a kid, my, my best memory uh, of being a little boy was um, my dad, uh, he used to throw the, the ball with me after work. Um, he'd get home early because he was a teacher, and he would sit down, and, and he would just throw the ball, and we'd throw it back and forth, and we'd talk about life, you know? Well, the only reason that happened is because uh, when I was maybe three or four years old, um, my dad was driving to work. He, he used to work for AAA up in L.A. This is back when the traffic wasn't as bad as it is now. And he used to commute every day, almost 40 minutes to an hour, back and forth. And he was at work a lot. And, it, and on, on his way to work, he listened to, um, to Ken and Bob, the, the Ken and Bob company. You guys, anybody, anybody remember this? Uh, there was these two radio hosts, and they you know, had a great morning show. And one day, he's on his way to work, and it occurs to him. It occurs to him that he knows Ken and Bob better than he knows Joyce and Tom. And at that moment, he said, I'm going to make a change. I want to know my family better than I know these guys I've never seen. And so he did make a sacrifice. Sometimes, guys, yeah, your career is going to take a hit if you, take a, if you make a change. But it's worth it. I testify, I'm living proof that it's worth it. I am so glad that my dad got to know me. 
That's a lot, man. It's like beating on the guys. Guys, get better. You're. It's actually not that hard. I know. I know it's not that hard because I asked your wives this week. I asked your wives. I sent them a little email. I said, hey, what are some things that make you feel safe? What are some things that make you feel secure? What are some things that make you feel loved, appreciated, beautiful? What makes you feel like a glorious bride again? And they, God bless them, they responded. They came back to me and they told me a few things. I just want to read a couple for you. Ladies, I can't use all of the stuff that you said, but, um, but here, you know, I, I'm cherry picking. One said, I feel loved receiving a back rub after a long day, even when I know my husband is tired. One said, I love it when he spends time with me, especially when he initiates it, and it's without kids. Good call. Even if it's just coming with me to shop for groceries. He encourages me when I'm overwhelmed. I love this one. I feel, guys, you're going to like it too. I feel loved when my husband services the car. I mean, Right? There is nothing quite like feeling safe in your car. It will stop, start, stop, accelerate, and behave properly. Safety, right? Feels good. I feel loved when my husband compliments me. He tells me I'm beautiful even though I know I'm pretty average. I love it when he takes out the trash. I love it when he says, oh honey, I don't know how you do it. I bet these kids are a lot to deal with all day long. Thanks for being home with them. I love it when I call to have him get something at the store and he buys a small flower arrangement or even a single flower or a box of cookies and says, I was thinking of you and I wanted you to get a little goodie. I love it when he says, you're a good mom. You have a good heart. Or even after 20 years, I still love you. One thing he does that makes me feel loved uh, is when he gives me a break. He takes the boys with him on errands. He, he gets haircuts, grabs donuts, and he never makes a, deal about, a big deal about it. Doesn't make it feel like he's doing me a favor. He just does it. He never complains about a thing. He's hardworking. He's loyal to our family, our church, and his employees. I love it when he affirms me and encourages me. One of my nicknames for him is Sir Lance, after Lancelot, because he always saves my day, always watches over me, fixes the problem, and makes things work out. There's nothing too big or too small. I depend on him entirely. I love it when he takes the initiative and picks up around the house. I love it when he says, I took the time to plan something so that we could get some rest. I love it when he shows me that I'm more important than his work project by not checking his phone when we're together or if something comes up saying, that can wait, you're more important. This isn't, you know, rocket science, guys. And it really isn't. It's not... You know, it's not huge labor here. It's just a couple of simple things. 
Let her know that you care, that you love her. And when you do, you remove those barriers between her and who she's called to be. And at the same time, you're also prettying her up, putting that dress on, using that makeup so that she becomes the bride that she was. She stops being, just for a moment, in the middle of the week on Wednesday, Cinder-Ella, and becomes Cinderella, the belle of the ball, for just a little part of her week. Guys, we're imperfect, but that's okay because our God is not. We're not all-powerful, but that's okay because our God is. His grace is enough for you. So, uh, practical stuff. Uh, you know, here, so here's the deal. On the, on the ride home, all right? So guys, you're here. Your self-giving love is meant to make your glorious bride shine. So you're on the ride home or possibly over lunch, give you a chance to settle a little bit. Look at her. And you're literally going to say it. You're literally going to ask her, what makes you feel like a glorious bride? Ladies, you get a chance to think about this. Think about it. What is it? And maybe it's something that you, you, you love and you can just be a, a moment of affirmation. Great. Or maybe it's a moment where you're like, that's it. I need, to, I need to lay this out. I need this from you. And I'm worried I'm not getting it. But the, 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 the glass slipper goes on the other foot as well. Last week, we talked about men and how important it is for them to lead. Ladies, right after you tell him exactly what you need to feel like a glorious bride and to shine, you get to ask him a question. You get to look at him and say, what would make you an adventurous leader of our family? What would it be? Guys, you get a chance to think about it. What would make you become the man that you know that you can be? What will make you the leader that Christ has called you to be? Ladies, let him lead. Guys, Make your glorious bride shine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the self-giving love of your son by whom you have scrubbed down a sinful, dirty church and have dressed up a glorious, shining bride with whom you will live forever. God, may the men of this church take that seriously. May we, as husbands and fathers, learn, be challenged, be encouraged to make our glorious bride shine. May the women of this church be sparkling in a culture that is lost. May they be a sign of your love because of the love that their husbands pour out on them. God, bless our marriages. Bring back the ones that are struggling. Encourage the ones that are succeeding. And draw all of our eyes to you so that we as Coast Bible Church will become your glorious bride on the last day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.